0: Thanks again for checking out this week's message. If you are interested in finding out more about King's Chapel, please visit our website at kingschapel.church. There you can find service times and more ways to connect with us. You can also follow us on social media at kingschapel.sgf. We look forward to seeing you soon. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 24. We're taking a couple of uh, week break from our Matthew series. We'll pick back up in Matthew in uh, February. Um, we'll be doing a couple of different things for, during January, so uh, take a couple of different places in Scripture. So today we'll be in January 24, or January, Genesis 24, <laughs> talking about the Lord who leads. I was struck this week as I was out and about um, doing some work at some houses way out in the country at the marvel of GPS. I mean, it's like this amazing thing that we all carry around in our pockets that we can put about in any address, no matter where we are, and it will, for the most part, tell us exactly where that is, exactly how to get there, and the best route, taking into account traffic situations or wrecks or things like that that are happening, and get us there. Now let me just, as as one who uses um, GPS and direction services heavily, let me just give you a little life tip here between Google Maps and Apple Maps, if you've got an iOS device. Uh, Google is, is the best, in my experience, at giving you the right, the best directions, the best route to get there. Um, and taking into account current traffic patterns, it's also better at estimating your time to get there. If you are traveling somewhere rural, use Apple Maps. Apple is a lot more accurate out in the country of putting the pin in the right spot. It might not give you a very good d- route to get there, It might have a road to get there that isn't actually a road. It's like, you know, somebody's path through their field. But it'll at least put the pin down in the right spot. Um, But this marvel was, it, it was particularly striking to me because... Uh, In my college days here at CBC, I worked at uh, Lazy Boy Furniture Gallery, which at that time was over in the Brentwood Center across from Nikado. And so that's what I did in the afternoons. I'd go over there and I'd deliver furniture. I'd study study all, you know, go to class in the morning, turn my brain off and go to work and deliver furniture, then go back and do my studies at night. And uh, so I did a lot of furniture deliveries. It was a great job. Uh, But back then, no GPS existed. We had, you know, the old school, you know, map that by that time I knew by heart. But it only went out so far around Springfield. And as you got farther out, you really didn't have a map. And you relied on somebody's directions to get you there. And let me tell you, not all directions are the same. Some people would give directions that would say, you know, go out Highway A, B, um, Turn on Farm Road 131, take that until you get to Old Holler Road, and take that until you get to um, Lover's Lane, and that's where I live. And so you're driving down these roads, and you have no idea if you're, you know, for 5 or 10 or 20 miles, you're like looking at every road that goes by. Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? Then you had the people who would say, go down AB 5.3 miles. Turn." east. Go 7.2 miles. Turn north. Go 1.1 miles. And it's like, it's like you would just, I mean, it was just bam, you got there. Don't you wish in our lives, do you ever feel that God has given you the first set of directions and not the second set? That you're just, and you're like, God, I wish you would tell me, I wish you would be a little more clear in how I'm supposed to get to where I'm supposed to go. And you feel like you're that delivery driver driving, looking at every road, not sure how long this road goes before the next turn. God, I wish you would just tell me that this is what, this is the direction. And all of us, as we stand on the cusp of 2019, we all have crossroads of life that we're at. We all have direction that we need. There are things that we need the Lord to speak to us and lead us and guide us and give us direction. Because we look at it and say, well, I don't really know what the future is. I don't know how this is all gonna work out. I really need God to direct me. For some, that might be, you know, life decisions with, with your kids or with, you know, dating if you're single. It could be things with your job. It could be, it could be all kinds of different things. And in addition to that, though, sometimes we need not just direction, but we need God to change something in our lives. We need God to step in and do a miracle. We need him to provide healing. We need him to work in the hearts of our unsaved loved ones and husbands and wives and kids, and nieces and nephews and coworkers. We need God to open their eyes. Maybe you're in a spot that you need a healing. Maybe you're in a spot that you need financial provision or you're, you're trying to get out of debt or you can't hardly make ends meet or whatever. You need God to step in and to intervene and just flat out change your situation. This morning, we're going to look at an account of Abraham the patriarch, as he is at a crossroads in his life, his wife, Sarah, has passed away. His son, Isaac, is going to be the heir. But the crossroads is this, Isaac is still single. Isaac has not married, and God said that he was going to give the land to Abraham's descendants, and he had Isaac as as a miracle, but Isaac still remains single. This is a problem. And to watch God at work in the life of Abraham through his servant is what we're going to look at today. So, Genesis chapter 24, picking up at verse number 1. It says Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to his senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. So here's what's going on. At this point, this is what would be, then be called the land of Canaan. Abraham is a stranger here. He's living in tents. This would later become the land of Israel when God fulfills His promise to Abraham after the Exodus. But for now, Abraham is a stranger in a foreign land among foreign peoples. And this is, this is kind of what it looks like. Here's the Dead Sea. That's the Mediterranean over there. Here's Bethlehem. Jerusalem would have been nearby. And Abraham, being sort of a nomad and living in tents, spends some time uh, up here, spends some time around Hebron, spends some time around Beersheba. But, but this is pretty much his, where he's living. And this is where he, at, at the age of 75, had left his father's household, had come here in response to the plan of God. But now as Isaac is ready to marry, and they're living in, in, in this area of... Canaanites. Abraham says, don't get a daughter for Isaac among the Canaanites. Go back to my father's family. So what would that have looked like? So that whole area that we just looked at is this little spot on the map right here. (laughs) This is Ur. This is modern-day Iraq. This is where Abraham's father lived, Terah, T-E-R-A-H. Terah had left there. He was actually headed for Canaan, But you wouldn't go through the desert here. You would go up and around. You'd follow the the Euphrates here. You'd go up through the fertile crescent and down this way. But for some reason, Terah stopped and settled here in Haran. And so it was from Haran that Abraham and Lot and Sarah left and went to Canaan. But the rest of the clan is still up there in Haran. So Abraham is about to send his chief servant, doesn't give us his name in chapter 24, other places it says it's Eleazar. From here up to the region of Haran to get Isaac a wife. This is no easy task. This isn't going down the block or to the next town. This is a big journey. All right, go on. Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said, The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and out of my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to you and your offspring, I will give this land. So let's look here. I'll go back to that one. When Abraham is standing at this crossroads of life, where does he begin? I need to find a wife for my son, Isaac, Isaac. Where does he start? He start, starts with, the God of heaven spoke to me. He starts with, this is what God said. He said to me, he spoke to me, and he promised me. And what was the promise? What did he say? Go to the next one. I'm going to give your offspring, what? This land. Be sure, my servant, that you do not take Isaac back to Haran. Because God said, this land. God said, Canaan. God said, here. And I don't care what happens, what you do, don't take my son Isaac back to Haran because this is where the promise of God is. Here's what we see. When we are at a crossroads of life and we need God to intervene in our lives, begin by obeying the clear explicit word of God. This is where Abraham begins. He doesn't, he doesn't step back and say, well, you know, here's my opinion. Here's what I think. He begins this journey. He's not going to go on. He's going to send his, his servant on it. But this journey of getting a son for, or a wife for his son Isaac, he begins it by saying, what did God say? For us as believers, Next, as Christians, for us, the Bible is our authoritative rule for faith and conduct. When when we are at a crossroads in our lives and you look at your 2019 and you say, I need God to direct me in this, I need God to change a situation in this, this is what I need from God, you begin for us with the Scriptures. What has God clearly said What does God clearly require require of me? What must I obey? The Bible for us is authoritative. Now, why? It's not because we worship the Bible. Some people almost make the Bible a a third member of the the Trinity, replace the Holy Spirit with the Bible and say, you know, this is uh, how it works. We don't worship the Bible, but we do understand It's because the Bible is God's most straightforward revelation to us. It's the most clear, it's the most objective, it's the most explicit. What's that sound? (laughs) So, So we begin, what has God clearly said? And if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. Next. Don't confuse God's word with your plan to obey. Do not, conf- this, is, this is an important point. Do not confuse the explicit Word of God, with how you think you are going to obey it. Isaac needs a wife. It's to your offspring I will give this land. If he doesn't get a wife, then the promise can't be fulfilled. And so, you know, if, if you go back to my homeland then, and nobody will come back, then... Maybe you find a wife among the Canaanites, or maybe you take Isaac back there, or or something, because because Isaac has to have a wife, right? And we get in ourselves in ourselves those same situations where, through our best of intentions, we neglect the word of God for how we think we ought to obey it. We see this played out in in businesses and in the way that we operate in business sometimes, that when ethical lapses happen because, quote, this is just the way business is done. We see it am- among, um, you know, people who are, who say, well, let's just, let's just move in together because uh, even though we're not married, we'll save some money because, because God wants us to be good stewards of money. So, let's, let's, let's move in together and be good stewards. And, and in that, Plan of, of that, you're, you're neglecting the explicit word of God. And this is exactly what Abraham is not doing. He is being clear to obey exactly what God said. I would rather have Isaac be single in this land than married in Haran. Because I know, Abraham would say, <laughs> that even if you're 100 and your wife is 90, God can do a miracle and provide you a son. Whatever you do, don't take my son back there. Next, don't disobey God doing what you think is right. If we're gonna be people who seek the leadership of God and want to follow him, we have to begin by what did God say? See, notice this. Abraham said, the Lord spoke to me, right? What did the serpent say? Did God really say? Did God really say don't eat from any tree of the garden? Did God really say that you you would die? Did God really say God wants you to be wise? And this is where we start. See, the Christian faith is never presumptuous. It always has a... And even if he doesn't, exception. Did you notice what Abraham did there? Servant, go to Haran, get a wife for my son Isaac. Bring him back here, or bring her back here. But whatever you do, even if you don't find a wife there, whatever you do, even if God's gonna provide a wife, if this is all gonna work out, but even if he doesn't, obey the word of the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as we know, said our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. And we have to have that same, that same place in us where we say, I believe, I have faith that God is going to lead me I have faith that he is going to make a way. I have faith that he's going to change my situation. But even if he doesn't, I am not going to neglect obeying the word of the Lord. Look at how Paul says it in Philippians chapter one. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ that what has happened to me happened to be me, meaning he's in jail, he's been imprisoned. That what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. What a strange thing to say when you are in jail. God's put me in jail so that he can deliver me, right? Next. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Be ashamed in that he is expecting to be released. He is expecting not to die in prison. He is not going to be ashamed of his hope. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. And now watch this. Whether by life or by death. I believe that God, that this has happened to me for my deliverance. I believe that I'm not going to be ashamed. I am confident that God has spoken to me and that I'm I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to be delivered. But... Regardless of all of that, I want Christ to be exalted in my body, whether I live or whether I die. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Next. And if I go on living in the body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Do you see this tension that Paul has? His faith is confidence, but it's not presumptuous. What has God called me to? He's called me to exalt him in my body, with my body, whether by life or death. And I'm confident that God has said I'm going to live and that I'm going to be delivered. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And when we find ourselves at a crossroads of life or at a place where we need God to intervene and to do a miracle, we believe God for that direction. We believe God for that miracle. But even if he doesn't, we will obey. Even if he doesn't, we'll follow. Even if he doesn't, we will not stop living according to the word of God. We begin this journey with what God has said. And we never let the excuse of that we're trying to follow the will of God become an excuse for disobedience. So let's continue. Verse number 9, and so a servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him. This is a really weird way of swearing oaths, by the way. Glad we don't do that anymore. Could you imagine, you know, going to close on your house and the closing officer say, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you'll, I'll just sign my name. That'll be, it works. Probably we're more trustworthy then than we are now. Swore an oath concerning this matter. Next. Then the servant, taking with him ten, this is a big caravan, ten of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of goods, good things from his master, he sent out for Aram Nearahem and made, see how I did there? That's pretty good. Aram Nearahem and made his way to the town of Nahor. This is all up there near Haran that we saw earlier. And he had the camels kneel, kneel down near the well outside of town. It was toward evening at the time the women go out to draw water. Next. And then he prayed. And then he prayed. And then he turned his eyes toward the God of heaven, the God of his master Abraham, the God of this man who had left family and God had blessed him. To such an extreme measure that now he's the little caravan that he's sending with, with him to go get the wife is 10 camels packed up, packed up with good stuff. I mean, this, this is the blessing. And he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. So we begin by obeying the clear, explicit word of God. But after that, next, ask God for specific guidance and believe He will provide it. Sometimes I know in myself, I I get myself lulled into this place where I say, God knows what I need. He knows what I need before I even ask. and, And I asked last year I asked last, last month I asked last week God, God knows I don't have to bring this up again see prayer does a few things prayer acknowledges that God sees you prayer acknowledges that God cares prayer acknowledges that I am limited and I there are things that I can't do and I need God to do it acknowledges my dependence on Him. Prayer acknowledges my faith in His goodness and my belief and in, in my confidence that He is able to help and provide and sustain. Prayer is not just the simple asking. It is profound and deep. It is our expressing our confidence in him, our weakness in ourselves, and our belief that he is loving and caring and compassionate. And the servant of Abraham shows up at Aram, Nehemiah, at Nahor, and says, I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe. Next. So here's his prayer. See, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for my servant Isaac. Now, What a woman, right? I mean, come on. This is like, you know, not, th- th- this is someone who, who, is, who is kind, who is observant, who goes the extra mile. I mean, this, what a great thing for the servant to ask for. And so this is going to be very clear. And, 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 and notice that, you know, nothing is said about her looks or any of these kind of things. I mean, just let her be this one. Next. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And before he had finished praying, sometimes you and I think that when we ask God, we are bothering him. Have you ever heard people say things like that? I know the man upstairs has a lot bigger things to worry about than my little such and such. Once he solves the wars and the famines and the whatever, then, you know, then he's worried about me. And that's, that's common um, idea in our culture and you'll see it on TV or, or whatever, or in an article, and that is not the God we serve. We serve a God who loves to answer. Who loves to provide, who loves to give direction, who loves to do miracles, who loves it when his people ask him. And so I just pictured this. His servant is there by the camels, and he's praying this. And in the midst of his prayer, this woman comes out. Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulders, and she was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah whose wife was Abraham's brother Nahor. So it's his great-niece. It's his brother's granddaughter. Okay. So the, the woman was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had ever slept with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Next. And the servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink and after she had given a drink she said i'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink next so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for his camels now if you were this servant what would you be thinking at this point What would you be feeling at this point? I mean, talk about goosebumps on top of goosebumps. I mean, this, I know it's a a common thing among us. We pray, we ask God and then he answers and we're like shocked. I mean, this is, this is what's going on. Next, without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. He's paying attention, he's watching. Sometimes we, I, I think we miss the plan of God, the direction of God in our lives because we just get a little bit careless. Maybe, and sometimes we, at the end, we look back and we say, oh, I, now I see God was doing all of these things was setting it all up and getting it ready for me ready. But I didn't see it in the moment. And sometimes, sometimes I think that's just God helping us put together the pieces in the moment, but I also can't help but wonder if sometimes that's just because we weren't paying attention. And we get discouraged Because God's at work in some of these details and we're just missing it. And I want to remind us of this pay close attention to how God is working in your situation, even the details. If you're praying about your unsaved loved ones, pay close attention to the conversations you have for them, for a little crack in the door that God might be opening. If you're praying for a healing, pay close attention to your health and what God is doing. If you're praying for finances, pay close attention to what's going on in your job or at work or to your your budget or your plan. If you're you're praying for other things, pay close attention to the details. A servant of Abraham is watching. Next. Now, I want you to notice this, because he asked God, God, I want you to do this for me. We'll call that sometimes a, a fleece after Gideon. You know, Gideon put out the fleece before God. God, if this is, this is what you want, you know, make the fleece wet and the ground dry and then the ground wet and the fleece dry or, or have these do this. The last time, Acts 1 is the last time we see physical signs substituted for the voice of God. What was it? Do you remember? The casting of lots for Judas's replacement. They cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. After Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit fills believers and he speaks to them. See, no longer do we have to pray and say, God, if this is your will, do all of these gyrations. We have God, the Holy Spirit, living in us, directing us, speaking to us, leading us. We don't have to say, God, do this, work all these things out. In fact, we don't see this ever happening again in the book of Acts. What do we see? The Holy Spirit speaks. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We were traveling and the Holy and, and the Spirit of Jesus said, do not preach the gospel in Asia. And they went all the way to, to the end and ended up going to Macedonia. It's the Holy Spirit speaking. And so when we pray, when we ask, we don't pray and, we, and ask God, do this sign or this miracle for me. We say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Let me hear your voice. and he wants to speak. He is speaking. He wants to bring clarity to us and for us. The Holy Spirit speaks. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. This is, this is his way of showing this master that the place that this woman is going to go, should she choose to go, is a good place. That uh, there is plenty of provision. Uh, it's like the, uh, the billionaire you know, tipping a $1,000 um, know, to have his car parked. This is kind of the ancient Near East equivalent. Oh, thanks for the water. Um, yeah, here's a gold nose ring and a couple of gold bracelets. I mean, this is, this, is, this is cool. All right. And then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she answered him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of that Milcah bore to Nahor. And he said, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. So, oh, go ahead. And the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. He bowed down and worshiped. He bowed down and worshiped. And here's what he said. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on a journey to the house of my master's relatives. For us, worship in awe and wonder that the God of heaven has taken an interest in you and that he directs the details of your life. He even cares about the camels. He cares about the promise. The story goes on, the servant goes in, tells them all what had happened. They're confident this is the word of the Lord and Rebecca agrees to go. Rebecca agrees to go. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to skip through some of this. Go um, find, find the next slide that... Uh, wait, wait, just Sorry, skip ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Sorry. Okay, here we go. Back one. So she agrees to go. Verse 56. But her brother and mother replied, let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so, and then you may go. Now, isn't this a pretty reasonable request? This stranger just showed up, said, I'm gonna take your daughter with me. You're probably never gonna see her again. She's gonna go live in a foreign land. Wouldn't 10 days or so be even still pretty quick? Like, you know, you're gonna take her away. Can, let's have, that's pretty reasonable, right? But they said... Let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. And they left the very next day. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And here's what I want. And they blessed Rebecca And said to her, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of your enemies. And Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels. And they went back with the man so that the servant took Rebecca and left. And here's what I want us to see. When God answers, walk in it. Don't waste even a day. When God answered the prayer of the servant of Abraham, he says, we're going tomorrow. God has answered. We are not waiting another day. We are not waiting 10 days. We are not waiting. We are going now. God has answered. And sometimes we know the step that God has for us. He makes it clear for us, and we get scared, don't we? We get afraid. And we "Well, just, you know, let me give some, maybe some time to warm up to it. When God answers, when he gives you direction When he changes your circumstances, walk in it. Don't waste even a day. Thank you for listening in to the King's Chapel podcast. We hope this message is a blessing to you. Please stay tuned after the message for more information about King's Chapel.